0: What comes to mind when you hear the word rivalry, opposition, competition, jealousy? Is it between siblings, sports teams, countries, or even within you? Hi, it's Josh here, one of the pastors at West Valley Christian Church, and we are on a series of teachings we've titled Rivalry, in which we will take a look at some of these found in Scripture and see what we can learn from them for our own lives. I just want to let you guys know right off the bat, I'm okay. All right, I had several people today ask me if I was okay. Okay, my my wife did go on the mission trip to Arizona, and several people were concerned about my ability to take care of myself. Um, I do know how to cook a mean chicken breast. Okay, and so I'm able to mix that together with brown rice, and I, I'll be fine. Uh, but just, just, you know, I'm okay. All right. So we are uh, we are finishing this series on rivalry. <clears throat> and uh, like Pastor Rob, I, I am a sports fan. And uh, matter of fact, if I could have put that video together, uh, it, it had some input on the video that would have been, you know, the bumper for the series. I would have actually had uh, in 1984, the play where, where Kevin McHale clotheslined Kurt Rambis uh, in the NBA finals. That would have been part of that video because I grew up as a child of the 80s. And, and it was a awesome time, I think, to be a kid. And I, I'm a lifelong Laker fan, and so what do I hate more than anything in this world? The Celtics, the Celtics okay? And, and so I don't, really want to, uh, I don't really want to belabor this point too long, because Pastor Rob has already kind of mentioned this, but man, uh, ESPN did like a three-part series on the Lakers-Celtic rivalry, and it was so good. I mean, like, it was fun just watching that. Um, it reminded me how much I despised those Celtic players, I mean, I'm 46 years old, and you know what? When I still see some of those guys, Danny Ainge, Kevin McHale, I still just have a hatred burning in my belly, okay? And so this is like confession time, okay? It's confession time. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, you know, it, it was disturbing. matter of fact, I watched like all eight hours of that. And towards the end, I, like they're, they're still making fun of each other, the Celtic players, you know, the Lakers. And, and, and towards the end, some of them started to say nice things about the other team. And it, was just, it, just, it just was sickening to me. I'm like, I, I don't want to hear a Celtic say something nice about a Laker. And, and I don't want to hear a Laker say something nice about a Celtic. And then Magic kind of brought it all together. And I could always count on him because at the end, he just said, man, I still hate the Celtics. And I was like, thank you, Magic. Thank you for restoring some sanity to this. Um, but, you know, we all have rivalries, or we all know of, of rivalries. And so tonight, I wanted to take you into some rivalries in my own life, maybe something that's a little more personal um, than sports or whatever. And so um, I, I had some pictures. I, you know, I want to I look at some pictures that are going to help describe some of the rivalries in my life. And so if we could go to the first slide uh, with the pictures. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So if you see, and if you remember right, as we've gone through this series on rivalry, Pastor Rob has talked about how this is about good versus evil, okay? And so this first slide on the left there, you have a bacon, egg, and uh, cheese biscuit from Carl's Jr. It is really good, but it's evil, okay? Like it's one of those things, like it tastes good, but it's evil. And and on the right-hand side, for those of you that don't know what that is, that would be an egg white omelet, okay, with vegetables and some fruit. And and so I thought, man, I mean, okay, okay. Honestly, this is a real problem in my life, okay? And so as I was thinking about this, I was like, all right, I'm going to go. I'll go to Carl's Jr. buy myself a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit so I could take a picture for research purposes, of course. (laughs) And and then I realized, wait a second, I can't do that. Because if I go to Carl's Jr. and I buy myself a bacon, egg, and cheese uh, biscuit, well, there's one problem there. I've never bought just one, okay? And if I buy them, what's going to happen is I'm going to eat them. And so in that moment, I was like, no, just search the Internet, get a picture off the Internet. And so that's why that's an official uh, Carl's Jr. picture there. Okay, so, so that's a rival. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe some of you understand. Maybe you're to identify, maybe not. Okay, let's see the next picture. All right. Okay, so, so uh, let's, start, let's start with the picture on the right. Okay, that, for those of you that don't know, that is a picture of a Bowflex. That is not the Bowflex that I own, but that is exactly like the Bowflex that sits in my garage on a regular basis, okay? It's in my garage, and it's calling to me, John, John, you know, it's calling, okay? But the picture on the left happens to be the couch that's in my front room that's right there when I open the front door and I walk in, okay? And that couch screams my name a lot louder than the Bowflex does. And uh, when the couch calls and I listen, I don't ever make it out to the Bowflex, okay? And just in case you're wondering, yes, that pillow is real, okay? That is, my brother-in-law would say that that is the best Christmas present I received last, last year, and that was actually a gift from the Gonzalez family for Christmas. Um, and so it, it still proudly sits on my couch. And, uh, but anyway, you know, that's a problem because honestly, if I sit down on my couch, I am not going out. Uh, to, to work out on the bow flex. Now, this this next picture really really does get a little personal. Okay, can we see the next picture? Ah, yeah. Okay, you think that looks like a cute little kid, don't you? Okay, he is a cute little kid. Uh, but but most of you have no idea who that is. That's actually my nephew Lucas. Uh, that is my nephew Lucas. He was born last October, and uh, he he is a cute little booger. Um, but but here's the deal. So most of you know my my youngest son Tim. And for over 18 years, my youngest son, Tim, was the youngest grandchild in the family. And so being the youngest grandchild in the family, there were certain rights, privileges, and expectations that came along with being the youngest. And then this little nugget came along and kind of took all those away from him. He went from being the youngest and the baby of the family to being just another grandchild in the Stallberger household, okay? And so it's been a little bit hard for him to adjust to this. Matter of fact, I don't know that Tim has ever actually said Lucas's name. He just refers to him as Grandma's favorite. And when he thinks no one is listening, he silently and quietly refers to him as the attention hog. Okay? So it's, it's been a little tough. It's been a little tough. We had a, we had a family get-together for Memorial Day, and I thought, okay, let's, let's have a picture. Tim and Lucas, let's have a picture. And so this is what I got. Okay? Lucas wisely is attempting to escape. Okay? And Tim is, if you can't tell, that is Tim's look of disgust. Okay. That is Tim's look of, of just evil. Okay. And so, okay, now just on this last one, just so you guys know that I'm kidding about this. Okay, can we see the last picture? All right, yeah, okay. Okay, I mean, I'm not kidding about the fact that Tim calls him the attention hog and may not have ever called his name, but Tim is really not, you know, it doesn't really despise the kid, okay? All right, we can, we can move to the next slide there. We can get those two off the screen there. But in this series, we've been looking at this idea of rivalry. And like I said, Rob has been talking about how it's a battle between good and evil. And today's passage is no different. Um, In in week number one, uh, Pastor Rob preached about Adam and Eve and the fall of man. But in the midst of that, he he read a passage out of Romans chapter 7. And in that passage in Romans chapter 7, if you remember it, it's kind of Paul describing the struggle of life. And he's kind of saying in there, and this is my my loose paraphrase of it, he's basically saying, listen, I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. What a wretched man or what a horrible person I am. Okay, do you guys remember that? I mean, it's Paul's struggle, and it's kind of his struggle with the sinful nature, and it's something that we can probably all identify with. We can probably all identify with that struggle. But at the end of that chapter, and I think it's in verse 25, Paul just simply says, man, thank you for Jesus, okay? Thank you for Jesus. Because, like, he has this struggle where he's doing what he doesn't want to do, and he's not doing what he does want to do. And and he's like, man, thank you for Jesus. Because I I can't get it all together on my own. I could never get it together all on my own. Thank you, Jesus. And so tonight we're going to be looking at a passage in Romans chapter 8. And this is following Those words that Paul had written. And and so if you're here tonight, actually go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. And if you are here tonight and you need a Bible, uh, just raise your hand and uh, we have some people that are passing them out. Romans chapter 8. And and so Paul, in in these first four verses of chapter 8, he's kind of concluding his thoughts on chapters 5, 6, and 7. And it simply says this, says, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a pretty great verse, isn't it? The idea that if we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Okay, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous, righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those are some great words, idea that in Christ there is no condemnation for us. But then he goes on and Paul is describing what our struggle is. Okay, and what the battle is, it's the battle between the sinful nature and living according to the Spirit. That's the battle in our world, okay, because outside of following Christ, we're still a slave to that sinful nature. We are, we are still a slave to that sinful nature before we've chosen to follow Christ. And as Christians, we're now trying to live according to the Spirit. And so that is good news because what Paul is telling us is saying, listen, You could never measure up under the law. Why? Because we're all sinners. And it only takes blowing it one time to make us a sinner. One one time violating the law, we are lawbreakers. But what we couldn't do, Jesus could do for us. And so then Paul goes on to describe this this battle, this rivalry between the sinful nature and the spirit. And and he starts again in verse 5. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers... We have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heir of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And so Paul is describing the, the difference between living in the sinful nature and living in the spirit. And, and he's kind of sharing some of the results. Okay? What are the results of living in the sinful nature? Well, in verse 6, it tells us that the first result is death. Okay, the first result of living according to the sinful nature is death. This goes all the way back to the first week of this series with Adam and Eve. What was one of the results of their sin? Death. Okay, and we've been paying that price ever since for our sin. Death is part of our lives because of sin. And so it's a consequence that we all have to deal with. That's all part of the sinful nature. Secondly, in verse 7, it talks about in the sinful nature, we are hostile to God. Okay, it's not even like that we're, we're neutral, to God. Okay? But but in verse 7 it's basically saying if you are in the sinful nature, you're hostile to God. Why? Because we're choosing to live according to the sinful nature, not according to what God wants. We're choosing to do it our way and not his way. As parents, is that acceptable for our children? Okay, wouldn't that bring some hostility in the relationship if we're tra- if they're trying to do it their way? Okay? It, it might And so that's how it is with the Lord, with us. When we try to do it our way, it brings hostility into that. Then also in verse 7, it talks about how we don't submit to God's law. And then in verse 8, it tells us that in the sinful nature, we cannot please God. It is impossible for us, outside of a relationship with Christ, outside of Christ, it is impossible for us to please God. Now, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that everyone who isn't a Christian is a bad person or they're horrible people, okay? But what I'm saying is, outside of Christ, we cannot please God. Okay, we can, God is not pleased with us if we are outside of a relationship with him. Now, what I want us to look at also, though, is the results of living according to the spirit or by the spirit. In verse 6, it says it's life and peace. So uh, on on the sinful nature side, we have death, but on living according to the spirit, we have life and we have peace. Why? And how is that possible? Well, John 3.16 tells us why that's possible. Because of Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, that's how it's possible for us to have eternal life. That's how it's possible for us to have everlasting life. But then it talks about peace. It talks about peace. And, And I think that's really crucial because you know what? Many of us, we need that peace in our lives. But even more so than us, how many of us are sitting around people every day, whether it's at work or, or out as we're doing our things in the world. or You just you see people, and they are so desperate for peace in their lives. I, I feel like as Christians, we know we have the answer, um, and, and we need to do a better job of sharing that with the world around us because we have what they need. We have what they're looking for. And, and so when we live according to the Spirit, that gives us peace in, in several different areas, but I think it gives us peace with God, which is obviously vital. Uh, I think it also gives us peace with others when we're we're living according to the Spirit. But then also, not only peace with God and peace with others, but also there's a peace that comes within our own minds. And for so many people, that's the battleground, is there's just a lack of peace in their own mind. And and as followers of Christ, God wants to give us that peace. Next thing it says in verse 14 is it says that we are children of of God. Now, now, last week, Pastor Rob read out of John chapter 1, and, and he started with the first couple of verses of chapter 1, and then he went down to verse 14 and kind of sandwiched in between is this little section in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 13. It says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, he being Jesus. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. So when we choose to live according to the Spirit, we become a child of God. I've said this many times, so bear with me here. But there isn't anything beneficial to being a Stahlberger, okay? Like, you don't get any grand prizes in this world for being a Stahlberger, all right? That poor Lucas, he doesn't know what he got himself into, okay? But, but there isn't any, any big benefit to being a Stahlberger child, But this passage talks about us being children of God. How amazing, how wonderful is that? But it not only talks about us being God's children, but it talks about us being heirs of God or co-heirs with Christ, which I think that's pretty incredible. You know, my, my mom, she likes to joke around, you know, when they go to do something. She says, oh, I'm spending your inheritance. And I would say, mom, I don't care. Spend it all. I don't want any of your money. I don't want any of you. Matter of fact, what I plan on leaving my children is a bill. Okay? That's my plan. They're going to open up the envelope and they're going to read it and they're going to find a bill. And, you know, there will be a picture of me smiling, you know. Um, there's not going to be a lot of benefit left behind when I leave them. And yet the idea that as Christians we are, we are children of God. We are heirs of God. We are heirs of everything that God has. I think that's pretty amazing. And so when you look at this list, I don't claim to be the smartest person in the room, but it seems pretty easy to figure out which side of the list I want to be on. It seems pretty easy which side of the list anyone that knows would want to be on. And so as Christians, you know, I think it's our job to do a good job of reflecting this in our lives, of sharing the good news with people around us. Um, I think a lot of people that are still on the left side, they're only on the left side because we haven't done a good job sharing with them about the right side, if that makes sense. And and so this is really important. Now, the other thing I think about this, because I I think why would anybody still be on the left side of that list? is because, you know, we've talked about the devil a little bit in this series. The devil is very cunning. The devil is very crafty. He he knows how to, to trick us up. And as we looked looked at that in chapters 1 and chapter 3, that the devil devil is the father of lies. And and he has the ability to make some things look very attractive to us that really shouldn't be. But as we looked at those verses in verses 5 through 17, I want us to really focus on this. What does it mean to live according to the Spirit? And and there's a couple things that I I think it it means. Living according to the Spirit means we ought to live differently than we did before when we were living according to the sinful nature. As Christians, we ought to live differently than we did before we came to Christ. The Spirit of God ought to change us. It should change who we are. Uh, This week in my devotions, I was reading 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel, Samuel is a judge of Israel. And uh, and it tells us in there that, that Samuel was a good guy, but his sons weren't so good. And so I'm not really sure why, but the Israelites say, Samuel, go to God and ask God for a king for us. Okay? And Samuel's like, that's a bad idea, but I'll go. Okay? And and God says to Israel, that's a bad idea, but I'll give you one. Okay? And so Samuel goes and he finds Saul. Saul is going to be the first king of Israel. And and Samuel's telling Saul what's going to happen. And in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. And I know I've read that passage before, but for some reason this week, it really stood out to me when it says, and you will be changed into a different person. And later on in 1 Samuel chapter 10, the Israelites see Saul, and he's with the prophets, and he's prophesying, and they're like wondering what has happened to him. Well, what has happened to him? The Spirit has come upon him. The Spirit has come upon him and changed him. And so as I think about that as Christians, we believe that not only has the Spirit come upon us, but the Spirit is indwelling us. The Spirit lives inside of us. Ephesians 1 verse 13 talks about how the Spirit is a seal. He has marked us, the promised Holy Spirit. And I really think that should cause us to change our lives. We shouldn't be the same people. We should be different people. Having God's Spirit living in me should change the way I talk. Maybe, maybe you used to not talk in such a nice way. Okay, But as the Spirit of God is living in us, that should change the way we talk. Maybe before you didn't used to treat people very well. well. You know what? The Spirit of God should be changing the way you treat people in your life. Maybe the Spirit of God should be changing what you're passionate about. Because maybe before you were passionate about things of this world, and yet now you're passionate about things of God. I think of how the Spirit should change the things that we devote our time to. The things that we spend every day running after. And, and you know, I don't say these things because I want us to feel guilt or to sh- feel shame. I say these things to, to encourage us. Because I don't actually think guilt and shame works. Okay? But, but as God's spirit is living in us, what I think we need to do is say, okay, I'm going to work as hard as I can to change to be the person that God wants me to be. But when we're doing that, we're also saying, Lord, you know how inadequate I am. (laughs) You know how incapable I am of, of doing it. And so I need your spirit to help me. I need your spirit to make me into the person that you want me to be. So we need to work on it, but then we also need to trust in him and rely on him and have him help us to be the people that he wants us to be. I also think living according to the spirit is something that allows him to empower us, to follow his will, or to give us boldness and to give us power in our lives. Again, I was reading this week, and in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's talking with his disciples, and he's, he's kind of giving them his last instructions. And he said, hey, I'm getting ready to go. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, these are the same guys that quite often lacked understanding all throughout Jesus' ministry. They they just didn't get it quite often. They just didn't really understand what was going on. When Jesus was arrested, what did they do? They fled. What did Peter do when confronted whether he was a follower of Jesus? He denied Jesus three times, just like Jesus said he would. And yet in Acts chapter 2, we read that that promise is fulfilled. The Spirit comes upon them. And Peter and the other disciples are preaching the gospel, preaching this powerful, powerful message And then over later in Acts, and I actually want to turn there. Go to Acts chapter 4 if you have a Bible. Because I think this is so awesome. Because in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going, and and they heal this crippled beggar. And uh, and the religious leaders don't really like what what Peter and John are doing. They don't like the fact that they're preaching in Jesus' name, preaching about the resurrection. And so in Acts chapter 4, verse 8... It simply says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and so they're, they're, he's standing there. Now, Peter, the disciples, I already talked about it, but what did they do when Jesus was arrested? They ran. They were in fear. This is just a short time later. These, they're going before the same people that had Jesus crucified, and yet you see a difference in Peter than just a few weeks earlier. Because they're told not to preach. And then go over to Verse 18. So then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. These guys that just a few weeks earlier were, were living in fear are now emboldened to say, listen, we have to obey God. What's the difference? Well, number one, the resurrection of Jesus is different. But number two, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, you know what? We believe that that Holy Spirit that empowered them and was indwelling them is still the Spirit that lives in us today. And God still wants to use his Spirit powerfully in our lives. And so I would encourage us to not try to do it on our own, but to rely on him and to allow God's Spirit to work in our lives. Now, Kind of going outside of the scope of the verses that I read, there's one more thing that I want to mention about living according to the Holy Spirit. And, and it simply is this, that the Holy, living according to the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit helps us in ways that even we can't understand. Okay, He helps us in ways that we can't even understand. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, he says this, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. That's like an amazing verse and a confusing verse to me because I don't completely understand it. But when I read that, what I, what I read is I say, you know what, there are times, I don't know if this is you, there are lots of times when I don't have any idea what I should be praying for. Like there are situations that I'm facing and I don't know what the right answer is. And I'm saying, Lord, I don't have any idea. Help me out here. And so I kind of picture this is like I'm sitting there praying my nonsense and my gibberish, and the Holy Spirit is there before the Father, turning it into something worth taking. Does that make sense? You know, it's, I, I actually, just this morning, I was thinking about this. Uh, I had cut my finger yesterday, stabbed it with a fork. Okay, that's what happens when my wife is gone. Uh, stabbed it with a fork, and, uh, and I was putting a Band-Aid on it. And the only Band-Aids I could find were these Duck Dynasty Band-Aids that I bought like three years ago. And so I'm pulling them out, and it made me think, I was like, oh my goodness, that really, that reminded me of my sermon because... If you ever watched Duck Dynasty, Uncle Si was like everybody's favorite person on the show. But quite often, you're watching that show, you have no idea what Uncle Si was saying, right? Any of you watch Duck Dynasty? Okay. All right. First service was all over Duck Dynasty. Okay. But anyway, so if you're watching that show, Uncle Si, often you had no idea what he was saying. He was speaking English, but you didn't understand it. And so early on, they started putting subtitles on him, you know, when he would talk. Because, I mean, sometimes he wasn't actually speaking English. Like, he just made up words. Okay? Um, but I thought that was, you know, pretty funny. But then I thought about that. And I said, that's kind of what the Spirit does for us. We're sitting there spewing our nonsense and our gibberish, and the Holy Spirit is there representing us before the Father saying, okay, Lord, this is what he means. You know, this is what she's trying to get at. You know, and I kind of picture the Spirit kind of being like a lawyer, okay, in a good sense, okay? Like a lawyer in a good sense that he's advocating on our behalf before the Father, and so tonight, as I, as I begin to wrap up the sermon, I want to kind of wrap up kind of the entire series for us because all these sermons all relate together. Um, and, and it's just three simple things that I, I, I want to, to get across to us. Number one, we need to remember that we have a powerful adversary. We need to remember that we have a powerful adversary. Now, you know, the devil convinced Adam and Eve to eat what they shouldn't have. And the devil went after Jesus, tried to get him to do things that he shouldn't do. And what that tells me is the devil's going to go after us as well. And you know what? I don't, I don't know all that he knows, but I know this. He knows my weaknesses. Okay? And in church, like, there's a delicate balance to be found. Like, I, I don't want us to talk so much about the devil that we glorify him. Okay? But if we don't ever talk about the devil, then we run the risk of being unprepared for battle. And there really is a battle. And so there's got to be a balance there somewhere. You know, the devil doesn't know everything, and the devil isn't all powerful. But like I said, he knows my weaknesses, and I'm pretty sure he knows all of your weaknesses. And so we need to be prepared for that battle. We need to be relying on God's spirit to help us in that battle. Um, I like short, small books. I mean, I've read big books, but I I prefer short, small books. And C.S. Lewis came out with a book a long time ago called The Screwtape Letters. And one of the things that I learned from that book is this, the idea that, you know, the devil doesn't need to get us to bow down and to worship him. All the devil needs to do is to distract us, is to get our our eyes off of God. And so we need to remember that we have a powerful adversary. But as we're remembering that we have a powerful adversary, we need to remember also, though, that God's word is essential for this battle between good and evil. That God's word is essential in this battle between good and evil. Again, remember, when tempting Eve, what did, what did he say? Did God really say? What was he trying to do? He was trying to get her to question what God's word was. He was trying to get her to question what God had actually said. You know, in, in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay, it doesn't say anything about God's word in there, but you know what? I believe those three understood the Ten Commandments, And they understood what God had said about not bowing down to any other image or idol. And so they were staying strong to what God's word had said. And then in the story of Jesus, in the temptation of Jesus, how does Jesus respond to every temptation? He responds with, it is written. It is written. It is written. Okay, he responded to each temptation with scripture. Why is that important for us? Because you know what? If we don't know God's word, we can't respond with it is written. We can't say to the devil it is written if we don't know what is written. And so it's so important for us to be getting into our Bible. Like, that's why it's important to be a church, to be hearing sermons. That's why it's important to be in a small group, in a life group, where we're digging into God's word. But most importantly, that's why it's so important for us to be getting into God's word for ourselves. Like sitting in church for 30, 40 minutes and sitting in a life group for 30, 45 minutes isn't enough. We need to be in God's Word for ourselves, learning it for ourselves. So this is the last Sunday of the month of June. Okay, so I said this in the morning services, and she's here now. Jenny Strauss, how many days till Christmas? 184 days until Christmas. I knew Jenny would know this. Why? Today is June 25th, okay? It is the last Sunday in June, we're, we're like almost officially halfway through the year. And uh, if you remember, uh, back in December, we, we had these devotionals. These are 365-day devotionals to read through the Bible in a year. We sold about 150 of these out in the lobby. They were like 10 bucks each. We sold about 150 of them. So this is kind of our half-year checkup, okay? No need to hang your head in shame, okay? But what I'm saying is this. You know what? There are some of you that halfway through this year, you are right on track. You are right on track, and you are right where you need to be. And if that's you today and tonight, I want to say, good job. Keep up the good work. Okay, good job. Keep up the good work. It's been really cool for me. Actually, there's a, a gentleman that normally comes in the morning, and I did not know him really at all uh, before this. And, uh, and he bought one of, these, one of these journals, and literally for the last six months, every time I've seen him, He's, oh, Pastor John, what about the reading today? Okay? And and it's been really cool because him and I have dialogued about this for six months. And some days it's been like, hey, that was a really cool story. Some days it's been like, what in the world was that about? You know, as you're going through, like, Leviticus and Numbers, you know, like, why? You know? Um, and, And some days it's been like, what passage did you write down to meditate on? And so it's really been fun. But one of the cool things for me, even as a pastor of the church here, is this. Man, you know, when there's a dude in the church that's going to be asking me about the reading every day, what does that provide? Provides accountability, okay? Because you know what? I know that Dale is going to be coming up to me and asking me about the day's reading. And so I had better know, you know, what that reading was about. So even before church today, man, I had June 25th read. So when Dale found me, I was ready to go, okay? So if you are right on track, good job. Keep it up. Now, for some of you that it's been maybe a bit, a bit more of a struggle, this is what I'd encourage. I don't want any of you to feel bad or feel guilty or feel any shame. What I want you to do is I want you to go find this book. Okay? Even if you haven't picked it up in four months, five months, I want you to go find this book wherever it is in your house and pick it up and start using it. I don't need you to go back and make up the four or five months. Start with today and then do tomorrow and then do the next day because it isn't about being legalistic and checking off every box and having every page written on it's just about the importance of us getting into God's Word. As Christians, this is so important. And so what I want to do is, and, and I, again, I don't want anybody to feel bad. What I want is to encourage you to use this as a tool to get yourself into God's Word. And you know what? If James Hoback feels a little bad, I'm okay with that. Okay? Oh, sorry. All right. So just let me encourage you guys to do that. And, and quickly... <clears throat> The the last thing I want to mention is this. As we're in this battle between good and evil, I want us to remember that God has not left us alone. Okay, tonight as we're looking at the difference between the sinful nature and the spirit, I I want us to realize that God has not left us alone, that he has given us his spirit to live inside of us. And what we need to be doing is doing a better job of paying attention to that spirit and listening to it. But know that we we are his children and he hasn't left us all alone. All right, please pray with me. Father, just thank you so much for your love and for your mercy. Lord, I thank you for the last four weeks as we've gone through this series on rivalry. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, um, to just live according to your spirit, Lord. Lord, take us where we're at and move us to where you want us to be. Lord, not because we feel bad or feel shamed that we want to make these changes, Lord, but because we love you. And we want to be the people that you want us to be. And so I pray that you would help us with that. Help us to rely on you and to rely on your strength. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You are King. We see you in the morning when the sun rises above. Thanks for listening. If you found this message helpful, why not share it with a friend or a family member? West Valley Christian Church is a community of faith, love, and hope. We would love for you to visit us at one of our four worship experiences. For more information, please visit us at wvccch.org. Sunrises before of sin. Wanna sing your praises. Wanna sing your praises God?